Well, good morning. I am Pastor Billy. I'm the youth pastor here, and it's my privilege to be able to share the message, the word with you this morning. Later on, we're going to read in John chapter 6, verse 25 through 40. So you can find that in your Bibles. You don't have to stand yet. We'll get to that in a little bit. Um, before we get to that, though, I want to know if I have any brave volunteers. I need three brave volunteers to come up front. First three. Just come up. First three. I got one. I got two. All right. Three. You come right up here. You guys are rewarded for your bravery. It, it, it really does actually take a little bit of bravery or I'm not going to say ignorance, but bravery to be able to come up here. How many of you guys are scone people? Who's a scone person? Scone? Scones. Okay. You two can get the boxes. The box in there. One of them's raspberry, one of them's espresso. Maybe you should have the espresso one. Yeah, maybe we should Let's see with that espresso one. And you get a fresh loaf of bread that was baked this morning. I went to bake my day this morning and got you guys some baked goods. So there you go. That's it. That's it. That's it. Yeah, there you go. I know. Yeah. Simple as that. Bravery. Awesome. Um, we're going to be digging into a passage about the bread of life later, and so we're going to get into that. But uh, um, before we get to that, the, to set up the passage, this is in John chapter 6, and in John chapter 5, Jesus is in Jerusalem, and he's talking to people. And then in John chapter 6, he shifts to um, the feeding of the 5,000, and some other things are going on there. Um, but in that... Right? You know the feeding of the 5,000, the, the five loaves and the two fishes, and how that's, that's spread out. And uh, Jesus is able to, to get that crowd together on the mountaintop. And one of the things I love about the Bible is, as I was prepping for this, I was able to, like, Google these things, right? To actually, like, Google Maps. I go back and I see, okay, Jesus is in Jerusalem, which is higher in elevation, but subtly of the Sea of Galilee. You can actually track Jesus. Okay, so he goes from there, he goes up to uh, Tiberias, and he's able to leave that town. He sails across. Or he goes up to the Sea of Galilee, and he crosses over to the southeastern uh, part of the sea. He goes up, and guess what? There's mountains. And that's where the feeding of the 5,000 happens. He goes to the mountains, he feeds them, and then the disciples leave and they sail from that corner of the Sea of Galilee and they start to leave to go up to Capernaum, which is still there, right? You can actually Google, you don't take your phones out right now, just take my word for the second, but you can actually like find Capernaum where the Bible talks about him. Uh, the disciples are going to go up there and Jesus, and this is the part of the story right before the passage we're reading this morning where Jesus walks on water. He catches up to them. He's able to go in that storm and get up to them. And so you're able to see how Jesus is, goes down in the middle of the night and catches up to them, uh, walking on water that way. They go to Capernaum. The people who were a part, the crowd that was a part of the feeding of the 5,000, they realize in the morning that the disciples took a boat. Jesus was with us after they left. Where did he go? They figure out where the disciples and Jesus went and they meet them in Capernaum, and they catch up with him. And that's where we kind of uh, catch up to the story, the passage we had today. But I love being able to read the Bible, and when it mentions people, 
A lot of times, you know, those people, like you can actually look at history and, and archaeology, you know those people really existed. The pharaohs, the kings, Caesar, all these things mentioned really happened. And you're actually able to go back in these places really exist. You can get on a plane tomorrow and go to Capernaum and see where they taught. It's not Shangri-La, it's not Star Wars, not once upon a time in a galaxy far, far away. This is real life, real world, real stories. And I love that I can do that and see the veracity of the Bible today. So if you have that passage, go ahead and stand up. We're going to read John chapter 6. Verse 25 through 40 says this, when they found him on the other side of the lake, the Sea of Galilee, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you are looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed the seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So they said, from now on, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. All, the, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son of to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at that last day. This is the word of God to the people of God. We've been taught to say, thanks be to God. You may be seated. Now, it would have been a great idea, very considerate and, and a, an awesome idea if I had gotten enough scones and warm bread for all of you. Yeah, that would have been a great idea. I didn't, but it would have been a great idea. I got enough here, I gotta save the piece of bread for myself. So, we look at that, I will not like eat too much of this, but I have to try at least a little bit to see if it's any good. Yeah, how many of you guys are bread people? Like, if you're gonna do a diet, the carbs gotta stay, it's gonna be something else. Like, I mean, at least the bread, like it's gonna be, Refine. I mean, sugars are carbs, but you can get rid of sugar, you can get rid of maybe fatty stuff or something else, but, but the rolls, they're going to stay. So I'm a bread person, this is going to be fun. Spiritually starving. We look at the scripture and Jesus is talking to this group and he's trying to tell them, communicate to them, 
the, the basics of spiritual formation. And you look at this group, and they're a diverse crowd, right? I'm gonna finish this bread. <laughs> you just have to wait. Mm. All right, good to go. It's a diverse group, right? You have people who are uneducated and common, and they don't, you know, they don't know that much. Maybe they're not even Jewish. They don't know anything about scripture. We have some people that, that are Jewish and they've heard the scripture read to them, but they're illiterate and they don't really know what's going on. Some disciples would have fit that bill. You have people that are like really knowledgeable. They know a lot and the Pharisees. And after this passage, after 40, verse 40, Jesus is gonna to talk directly to them. And he has some words for them. Well, you can read that later. But this group is diverse, and so Jesus is trying to communicate to them some basic spiritual concepts. And in that, he comes to this idea of spiritual starvation. He doesn't say that, but look at the idea of being filled with bread. And what does it mean to not be filled with bread? What does it mean to go without? In verse 26, he says, you are looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the bread, the loaves, and had your fill. They ate, we're talking about literal food. They are chasing Jesus down across the lake because they want food. They want to have that. And there might be any reasons why they would want that, but it comes down to their desire isn't even for spiritual gimmicks, right? It's not even that. They just want the base desires. Like they're very um, visceral. They just want the things that, that for that day, they're looking at the very superficial aspects of who Jesus is and what Jesus can, can do for them. And in trying to fulfill those, those base impulses, which even though a lot of us aren't like starving, literally, a lot of us have, don't have food scarcity. It's still a problem in the world, right? But a lot of us don't have food scarcity issues. We don't go hungry very often. Um, it's still one of those things where the base desires of our impulses and our biology still play into what drives us every day. Even though, right, tomorrow we're gonna go into the fridge, there's still gonna be food there. We still overeat. We still take in things we don't need. We have a lot of our base needs covered, but they still drive us and dominate us. In the same way, in, in more extreme way, back then, they're driven to chase Jesus down for those base desires. And today, some of those base desires take more the form of materialism or substance abuse or image, doing it for the, the gram, bitterness marked as righteous rage, right? There's a lot, there's actually studies that go into how we feel high after we argue with somebody and win, that, that the idea of being, feeling that we're on a crusade actually is like a form of, of biological high that we can get and the feeling of rightness. So all these things, these base desires that we might have for our mental or physical aspects are playing into what Jesus is saying. You're not looking at me for the spiritual aspect, you're looking at your id. You're looking at your base self and to fill that. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. I've noticed in my scientific endeavors that Cheetos and carrots look a lot alike. <laughs> Do argue with me on that. They look a lot alike. They're both about yay big. They're both round and sort of cylindrical. They're both orange, right? But they're obviously not the same. 
and not the same. Um, I try to convince myself. I'm like, she like, it's got to be at least, no, it doesn't work that way. Looking like something isn't the same as being that thing. So for Cheetos, right? You can't just eat Cheetos. You can't swipe out Christ with not Christ. No matter how much it may seem like a substitute, there is no substitute. And Christ is telling that whatever you want, all those other things that you can want, you need me. You don't need those things, all right? So looking at it, those things might be godless altruism or naturalism or other face religions that contain some truth, but not the truth. And that's something that might be easy for us to hear at church. Of course, we're not out there hopefully practicing Wiccan or whatever it might be. Hopefully that most of us are not in that place. It's easy for us to hear that. But what might be harder for us to hear is that in American Christianity and in fact Christianity throughout the world, there are plenty of people who sit in pews week after week that are spiritually starving, that are not being filled with Christ in any meaningful way. It is very much possible to sit in the programs of the church and be around the people of the church and not have any of that penetrate. A rock that can lie in a river, right? You can get a river rock out, you can break it in half, but inside it's dry, even though it sits in that river 24-7. So we can't just ignore like, okay, we're not atheists, we sit at church, we go to those things, we check those boxes, so we're Christian. It's not as simple as that. It's actually seeking out the bread of Christ into our life. And the remedy is in John chapter 6, 35, to, to get away from starvation is to, rec to recognize the base desire. We have that hole to fill. We're designed with that desire to be connected to Christ, and we can't fill it with other things. And John 35, uh, verse 35 says this, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. That's how we get past starvation, how we get beyond that. But there's another concept I kind of come into when I read this passage that I visualize, and that is like spiritually anorexic, right? People who are anorexic, they, they eat, but just enough to stave off death, right? Some, it's not healthy, not eating enough to be healthy, but they're, they're definitely, they're, they're not going to die, right? They're in that in-between. They know there's a need for God. We take that in, but having just enough of a relationship with God that we don't die, and I get that a lot. I can tell someone's maybe in that place when they're asking questions about how far away from God they can get, how far away from godliness or Christ-likeness they can get before it's sin. Like, how far can I go? How untrue does something have to be before it's a lie and I'm sinning? Well, that's backwards. You'd be focusing on how close to Christ you can get instead of how far away you can get before you're in trouble, right? That's like a five-year-old concept. My five-year-old wants to know how far he can push the boundaries before he's in trouble. We should be focused on getting closer to Christ. And that's like a spiritual anorexic, the idea that we'll take in just enough of God and who Christ is to keep us kind of going, to keep us there. Uh, you see Christians who are missing out on the joy of Christ. We're missing out on the joy of creation who are missing out on the genuinely fulfilling relationships with other people. That there's this love and hope and joy that's supposed to be a part of our life when we're centered in Christ, and that's fullness. And a lot of people settle for the minimum. And you know what? There's some Nazarene concepts to play into here. When you get done with church, 
right? And you can go out for lunch, you go home and make lunch. You know, make a little salad, right? With no dressing, right? That's not what you're going to go home and eat, most of you. You're going you're to make a meal. You're going to go, you're going to order the appetizer, you're going to make a meal. That's a Nazarene concept, right? We eat. Everything we do is centered around food practically when we can do that. So food, to partake in that meal, to, and Jesus uses that metaphor, the bread, to actually dig in and have that fullness of meal. And then another Nazarene concept is after you eat that meal, you are obligated in the manual to take a Nazarene nap. It's in there. You can look it up. It's in the back. I had to handwrite it in, but it is in there. Nazarene nap is there. And don't let your kids stop you. Just ignore them. Turn off your hearing aids. That's what I do. Nazarene naps, you get there, you get that fullness of Christ to really take it in. And uh, um, in that, I want to challenge one concept here quickly, and that is sometimes we hear like the idea of, of people who've been in the church for, you know, they've been a Christian for 30, 40 years, for decades. And that, that concept, I've heard this term of, well, I had to leave, I wasn't being fed. And I understand what's meant by that. But I want to challenge that concept. Because if we're Christians for more than 10 years, 20 years, especially for older Christians, right? We're not a 10-year-old. The idea of not being fed stops to be a point that's valid. Because it's not up to Pastor Mark to grow a spiritual life of an individual after a certain point. At a certain point, we pick up a fork. Being weaned. At a certain point, we get off of that and take responsibility for our own spiritual health. And so as... If you're a new Christian or you're a young Christian, it's fine to, to depend on, for me and the teens, I take on a special responsibility that, that, yeah, some of their spiritual health, even for the ones who grew up in the church, does depend on me and the, the mentors in their life. I know for Tanya that can be true too, because they're young, they're still learning a lot of things. And if you're new to the church, you're new to being a part of the body of Christ or being a Christian, we come alongside and help each other in that. But at a certain point, we do get weaned. Where when we come to church, we're not here to get, we're here to give. That being a part of the body of Christ moves us beyond that. That's picking up a fork. If your whole spiritual life, if you've been a Christian for decades, and this is the only place you're getting fed, that's a problem. That's a problem. And if, there, if you're in a place where that's, that's true, I don't want you to feel condemned or judged. I want you to know that there's plenty of resources and plenty of people that can help you move beyond that point, that can help you get to that. There's resources. You can go into Minnie's office and steal any of her devotional books. You can go to Tanya's office. I got some that are right there. There's plenty of books and apps to help you find ways to build in the habit of spending time in the Word, of digging in, of getting that relationship with God. And the best part about it is like with prayer, you don't even need an app. All you need is like to earnestly seek God and to be honest in doing it. That's it. You just need a desire and a certain measure of honesty and when you do it, that's it. Um, and in seeking out God, we get to that point where we pick up that fork and we're, we're, we're feeding ourselves. Granted, it's Christ that feeds us, right? But it's us taking initiative and responsibility. We get that. So it says, Matthew 5, verses 6, it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And I want to be filled. I want to take home leftovers. I get to that point where like, I go to a restaurant and I'll think about 
which I'm not, you know, they gave you a lot of food. In American portions, you get a lot more than you need in one meal, okay? Uh, but I'm thinking about which one's gonna be good leftovers, right? If they give me too much, I don't wanna throw it out. I wanna take home and, and, and heat it up. Ribs are a good one. That one works pretty well. Sandwiches, not so much. The lettuce gets a little soggy, but there's certain things you gotta stretch. Chicken's a good one. That's a solid second take. You strategize about what leftovers you're gonna have because you're filled. And in scripture that's mentioned often, to have your cup overflowing. That in the feeding of the 5,000, they had more than they needed. When the disciples got together and had that, that bread, they had more, there was leftovers to that because Christ is more than sufficient for our needs. Uh, I wanna brag on Gavin Ayer, the best scones I ever had. He made some for, for a Sunday school class. I wanna take leftovers home. I was like gonna put them, I can't put them in your pockets, but right, I wanted to, they were great, it's great. A uh, great cook, great chef that way. Spiritually gluttonous, moving on here. Uh, gluttony, taking in good things, but also bad. And I know that at every point a metaphor analogy breaks down and we kind of get to that point because you can't have too much of God, right? You can't be, have too much Christ-likeness, too much godliness in your life. So the metaphor breaks down. And with eating, some sweets are okay. Right? We accept that you can have uh, Cheetos every now and then. There's nothing wrong with that. It's not gonna be unhealthy for you. But that's where the analogy breaks down. Because in our spiritual life, there's no amount of sin or things that are unchristlike that are healthy for us. There's no sprinkling that in. Another thing I've noticed is that black beans look a lot like deer poop. <laughs> they do, right? They do but you're not gonna put them in your burrito. You're not gonna put them in your burrito. There's no substitute there. Something is either Christ-like and it's good and fulfilling, or it's not, it's something else that's gonna take us away from what is edifying for us. You can't just mix in faux pseudo-righteousness junk, right? And I have all this, I'm not gonna read it. There's a whole list of things out there that we're prone to. Right? You have your thing, I have my thing that we're prone to, that we're tempted by, that we're weak on. We gotta recognize those things. We can't just sprinkle those things in and then wrap it up and ignore it. We gotta get rid of those things. That's, that's that gluttony. That puts us in a place of unhealthiness when we mix that stuff in. The last thing I have is spiritually constipated. A good, great terms here, you can just, I love it. I've been waiting to say constipated from this pulpit for a long time. <laughs> constipated. What's the point of real food, right? Why do we eat food, right? To stay alive because it's good, but also so that we can do things, we can produce, we can get out there and do something with that, give us energy. We don't just eat to eat, we eat so that we can go and participate and produce. So true with the sustaining bread of Jesus, not just being the end of itself, but to reflect Jesus to others. Some symptoms of being uh, spiritually constipated would be having an active relationship with God, but you fail to exercise your faith. Participate in church a lot, do a lot of those things, read your Bible, pray, tithe, all those things, but it's just inward focused. It's just safe. It's the comfort zone. It's being with other Christians and growing in that way, but we're holed up and isolated, right? That's constipation. That's being holed up with no outlet, no appropriate way to, to, to feed out into the world. 
One thing I realized is, uh, that kind of came to mind when I was re- um, getting ready for this is, you look at which vines or which trees were cut down and thrown away. It wasn't the ones that were unhealthy, it was the ones that weren't producing. The trees that got cut down, they're green, they're leaves, they're, they're big probably, they're, they're healthy, but they're only existing for themselves. And that's not the point. That's part of the point, it's not the whole point. Not enough of what Christ is trying to do in our lives. And so, in the end, if they don't produce, right, then the love isn't being poured out. They're cut down and thrown away. And that's scary to hear, but that's something we do need to hear and take stock. Uh, every day in our lives is as Christians, what are we doing with our time? How are we a steward of what we have? Remedy is Colossians chapter 1, verse 10. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work or deed. We need to be actively involved in what Christ is doing. And it's not just like we have programs, we have things that are going on. I'm not plugging that. What I'm saying is, what Christ is saying is, we need to be out reproducing. We need to have relationships with our neighbors. We need to be out amongst the people that aren't Christian. We can't isolate. This is not a fortress. This is like a forward operating base, ascending out. This is a place where you can come and be safe and grow together, but this isn't a castle. Christ is our refuge. Well, we go with Christ and take that out into the world to be able to bring that hope to others. That as our cup overflows, as we have too much bread in our basket, we're able to share that with other people so they can be edified, so they can be brought in to that. I'm gonna ask the uh, worship team to come up as I hit my closing here. One of the things that's ironic, I was going through the commentaries and, and they pointed this out, I didn't, I didn't catch it myself, even though it's really obvious. They asked for the sign of Moses, right? They mentioned manna. Well, if you're really who you say you are, prove it. Give us bread from heaven. Give us a miracle of producing bread. We want bread, we want bread. Give us that. He just did that. He just did the feeding of the 5,000. He literally did exactly what they asked for, and they're still asking for that. God has already proven himself, his worthiness of our trust, of our faith. He's already proven that. And there are people who will accept that and embrace that, and there are people who won't. But we look to God, we, see, we look to Christ, and we see fulfillment and edification that has already been proven. So as I look at this, uh, the three things we can take away is, God wants you to have a spiritual, spiritually healthy life. Uh, not in some like, weird way, but in a grounded, centered in Christ way. So be hungry for Jesus. Seek out Jesus. You might have other desires that creep up, things that want to distract you. Focus on Christ. Be hungry for who Christ is and for Christ-likeness. Be filled with, uh, be filled with and only with the love of Christ and be active in living out our faith. I'm gonna go ahead and sing a song and then I'll close the benediction.